0: is Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are actually taking some time... Uh, to develop our love in who Jesus Christ is. As we look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, His life in the book of Mark, this should cause us to, to look to Him in excitement and with love and adoration and, and who He is as He has stepped into this world to reveal God the Father to us and how we can have a relationship with Him. And then even as we get into our lesson today, we're going we're gonna to see how Jesus Christ came to develop a community called the church. That he came to establish a presence of God on earth um, in in the church and how that community Feeds each other, that we take care of each other, that we belong to one another, that we keep each other accountable and we grow together. And then we are here for a mission to, to spread that word. It's not just about us getting out of hell free card. It is about us learning about who God is, getting excited about who God is, and then sharing the message with others about who God is. And so that's, that's the direction we're going in. And in the first week, we looked at Ministry Unhindered. Mark is uh, writing. Mark was uh, you know, a young man, when, when Christ was on earth, and he was really a disciple of of Peter and Paul, for a little while he followed them around, and most of what we read in Mark is actually, most most scholars agree, probably the writings of the Apostle Peter, the, the teachings of the Apostle Peter reminiscing through Mark. And so we get this, um, Mark is just, uh, you can see him hanging out with Peter and getting really excited about what, uh, was going on in the life of Christ, and it's, it's a fast-paced gospel. It's the shortest of all gospels, 16 chapters, and it's it just it, rapid fire, and there are, are so many details that as you read through Matthew or Luke, that you're, uh, you're looking at and saying, wow, he just really jumped right right from um, one place to another. He doesn't deal with some of the specific details. And so in chapter 1, it will just mention that Jesus was led out to be tempted, but it doesn't deal with the temptation in the wilderness. He just says, this happened, let's keep moving, let's keep moving. And he, he goes right on through. And so as I, um, as I was preparing this lesson, uh, this sermon today, looking in Mark chapter 3, uh, there are our four main movements in this passage that we're going to deal with. And, and I'm the type that I like to approach a scripture. I like to take a small piece of scripture and I like to really just work out that, that one little passage. And then when I get a larger chapter, I, I get a little bit nervous because there's a lot of stuff in there. And, and those who are used to hearing me, I like to, to just share a lot of stuff. And so the more material you give me, the more material I like to try to share. And I know that that's not always effective. So you can continue to pray for me to be uh, on point and, uh, and um, that the Spirit would help me to only share what is helpful Um, and not go off on my many tangents that I like to dwell on sometimes. So, um, But Mark chapter 3 is is an exciting chapter. We began it last week through the first six verses, and we're going to pick up in in verse 7 and read through the end this morning. Verse 7, it's on page 838 in the Pew Bibles provided, if you'd like to follow along. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. Then the great crowd heard all that he was doing. They came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crushed him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name... I'm going to mess this up. I tried pronouncing this all week long, and now here I am, and I'm going to mess it up. It's, it's in Aramaic, and nobody actually knows why uh, he said that. Um, so it's the sons, that, that is the sons of thunders. We'll just leave that one. Uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. I tell the youth group all the time when you're in doubt of how to pronounce something, just say it with confidence and, uh, and just keep moving, and nobody really knows. So um, I just messed that one up. All right, back in eighteen. <clears throat> Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and, and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and, the, and, the, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called to them. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. He is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my, my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. <clears throat> Let's just say a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful to be able to gather together freely uh, today to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that you would send your spirit to be with us, Lord, to uh, speak through me, to help me to understand this passage and communicate it in a helpful way. Lord, that we might fix our eyes firmly on Jesus Christ and see uh, who he is and understand his mission and his purpose and how that impacts us today. And so we humbly come to you and ask that you would be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we, uh, we kind of concluded last week uh, with this understanding that, that Jesus was doing some miraculous events and people were, were there um, beginning to question him. Uh, where's his authority come from? And the, the scribes and Pharisees may not have come in with the intention at that point uh, to criticize Jesus, but we're just really in uh, generally questioning what's going on. What is he teaching? It's, how is he te- saying those things? How, how can this be? But we... we um, See quickly then in the very next part where when Christ heals the man with the withered hand, uh, he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And their response is, is, no, you've got to keep the Sabbath laws." And we see that Jesus is very angered by them in, in the very beginning of, of chapter 3 because uh, they were more concerned about their, their legalism and their laws than they were concerned about a... a fellow human being who was suffering and, and pain, that they would rather uh, live by a strict code than take care of someone who is hurting. And, and really, because ministry really is when we see a need and we meet a need. That is the definition of ministry. And uh, ministering to one another, taking care of one another, when we see someone in need, we should be willing to take care of need. That, that is the essence of, of the gospel, why we need to be what we're about. And that, that showed that their hearts were, were hardening, they were less concerned about people and more concerned about rules. And, uh, and then we get into our, our passage today, and, and the, the scribes and Pharisees are already settled. It said that they had begun to plot with the Herodians how they might destroy Christ. So they've already uh, come to this place where they want to end his, his teaching. And they, the, I, you can just imagine as they, uh, as they decided that they wanted to destroy him, that they didn't want to end his teaching. Here's this new young pastor, rabbi, teacher walking through the streets and, and gathering a crowd. We're going to end him. We're going to put an end to him. And then immediately, uh, Ed says, when Jesus withdrew uh, with his disciples to the sea, he's, he's like, there's contention. There's, uh, there's going to be problems. These guys are, are plotting against me. I'm just going to withdraw to the sea. Um, you know the instead of like stirring the pot and making it it 's not time for him to be crucified yet it 's not time for the end, so he withdraws to the Sea of Galilee, and then the crowd follows him uh, their, their attempt to begin a plot to destroy is immediately the crowd they 're not listening to the the Pharisees and the scribes they 're immediately following uh, Jesus Christ to the sea and, and all these different cities really just tells us that people were coming from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west all over Israel people are coming to hear Jesus. They've heard about what he's doing. They, they've heard about the miracles uh, that he has performed, and they're curious, and they're coming from all over the nation. Now, even John the Baptist drew large crowds, but it never says that uh, from the far reaches of the country, people came to hear John the Baptist. But they were coming from all over. Jesus' popularity was was growing, so there's a rise in popularity in, in, in who uh, Jesus Christ is. And i 'm sorry I totally forgot to intro the lesson The title is redefined relationships um, Today as we saw the, there 's a ministry on hindered the authority question today 's redefined relationships and jesus 's relationship with the crowd has shifted from relative obscurity to now there 's a rise in, in popularity. He is beginning to draw huge crowds actually the in the, in the greek here it 's just it 's kind of funny uh, it 's like the, the multitudinous of the multitude it 's like it 's a redundant statement it 's just a really really, really big crowd is following him, and it 's uh, all these people, and the crowd is is excited, but it 's becoming dangerous. Jesus says, "Have a boat ready because I need a way of escape just in case this crowd closes in on me they 're going to trample me uh, is, is they 're pressing in pressing in because Jesus is healing so many people they 're seeing that he is uh, ready to um, to be there to minister to their needs. And, and we know um, that when we have this, this opportunity uh, to have a need met, we, we, wanna, we, we want our needs met first. And so we oftentimes become very selfish in our push. And I was, I was thinking about how oftentimes um, coming to Christ, that uh, not only, uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, those of us who follow Christ, who have chosen Christ as our Savior, maybe first came to Christ for very selfish reasons. And uh, we came for what what I can get out of it. Uh, I want to get a, a, like. I want to get out of hell. Uh, I want to go to heaven. Uh, and then in our modern context, it's too often, even in the presentation of the gospel, people uh, we preach the gospel in a very selfish way. Uh, we're, we're catering to all these uh, these uh, good things. What you can get out of it, instead of about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, we want we to point to Christ. We want to know Christ. We who are sinners are undeserving of this Savior, and, uh, and yet He chooses us. But we, we oftentimes come for selfish reasons, And even, uh, but then much later as we grow to know Christ, that, that we begin to see um, all the, the, the bigger beauty of who He is and, and, and what it means to be a Christian, how dying to self needs to take place daily. It's not about what I can get, but it's about who He is. It's, it's not about me at all. It's about Jesus Christ. Even in youth group, we're, uh, we're doing a series called Unlikely, and the subtitle is it's not about who you are, what you have, what you have done. It's about Jesus. Um, it's about Jesus. Salvation is about Jesus Christ. It's about uh, who he is and knowing him and following him and imitating him and being like him and being his presence on earth and communicating who he is. And all those other things are just fringe benefits. But oftentimes we get into... Um, uh, friendships, relationships, we begin things for very selfish reasons, but then they begin to mature later. And then we, we realize that if it was only for those selfish things, those uh, the, at the initial onset, those become very superficial and they're not something that would sustain uh, longevity in a relationship, but, but then we mature. And as we mature through those, we b- develop. Uh, a foundation, and so sometimes we, we have come to Christ for selfish reasons, but Christ has saved us in spite of us, and He has used us and called us to him. but the crowd is is raging it 's a huge Crowd, people are, are, are super excited. And in that crowd, there's all kinds of diverse people. And that's what's uh, really exciting about it. It's not uh, just uh, this, this movement that Christ has begun when he is sharing the gospel and he is preaching a, a gospel of repent and believe in the gospel, the good news uh, of, of who God is and how we can have a relationship with him, that he's preaching it to a diverse crowd from all these different cities. And then in that crowd, there are people who are, are demon-possessed, and, and the demons begin to proclaim that you are the Son of God, and Jesus strictly forbids them from, from revealing who he is. And I know this is one of those tough passages that you really kind of wrestle with. Why is this included? And again, Mark rushes right by it. He just says it and keeps on going. Um, but really, it's this, the, if we understand uh, the, that there is a very real enemy, there's a, a demonic force that is um, always against the church, against God, uh, Christ, it's uh, a war, a spiritual war is waging all the time. That here is not a; they're not yelling out, "You are the Holy One. You are the Son of God," uh, to draw people's attention to Christ and worship Him. But they have this agenda to subvert what Christ is doing, to distract the people from hearing the truth of the gospel. And so it's, uh, it's the wrong source of hearing who, is, who he is, and it's not the right time for them to know who he is in full. And so Jesus quickly says, uh, be silent. And in doing so, he shows his uh, power over the demonic forces, and he silences them. Uh, and in many places, we see throughout that he casts out demons and uh, and controls them. And so we see here that he is is growing in popularity, and he's growing in power, and uh, and showing it throughout the region. And then it says in verse thirteen, and he went up on the mountain and called to those. Whom he desired, and they came to him. This is the, the calling of the 12 disciples, uh, later to be called apostles. Uh, I just find this a fascinating study when it says he went up to the mountain. and if we read through the Gospels and become familiar with it, many times uh, it says that Jesus himself would retreat up into the mountains for a time of prayer. And I think, again, Mark moving so fast, he doesn't include everything. But I think this is a time that Jesus went up into the mountain for his time alone with God, setting a pattern that we need to follow, that we should regularly be taking time alone to be still, to be quiet before God, to pray, especially before major decisions. And here Jesus is about to make a major decision um, where he's going to call men to himself. He's developing a... uh, a selection of close friendships that he 's calling to him that is going to impact the world, and before he he names them, before he calls them, he goes up up into the mountain and prays, he leaves the crowd behind and then from that crowd of, the, of followers who are curious about him, he calls uh, a specific group and he defines this group as those whom he desired those whom he desired i Every, when I just paused there, that Jesus went up on the mountain, he called to them those whom he desired. Uh, what a what an amazing phrase, that the Son of God, uh, the creator of the universe, desired these particular men to be a part of his close fellowship. And it's, it really is a, um, it's also a, a principle that we have, that when when Jesus Christ continues to call people to himself, he calls those whom he desired. And today, if you are one who has, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to think about the, let these words echo in your heart and your mind that Jesus desires you. And if you have not chosen to follow Christ, that today is a day that you can receive Christ and know that he desires you, that the son of God, the creator of the universe, desires to have a relationship with man. And, and he could have come and he could have ruled with an iron scepter. He could have just uh, showed his power and authority over, uh, over human beings very simply, but he chose to come in such a humble way to live a, a life among men, to become human, son of God, son of man. All throughout Mark, it shows that he is really human and he is really God. And, and in that, he, he calls into close friendship with himself these 12 men. And, it, and then we see um, that he went up and he prayed. He called them to him. They responded and followed him. Uh, Mark gets a a little ahead of himself by saying these he also named apostles. At this point, they're not apostles. They're they're disciples that he calls out that later, when Christ uh, would rise from the dead, he would appoint them as apostles uh, to go throughout, uh, to plant uh, the church and go throughout the world and and begin those. But it's like this illustrative foreshadowing. These are the men who shaped the the foundation of the church. Mark's saying, look at these guys. These are Jesus' inner circle, these are his close friends. And. and, and he called that he wanted them to be with him. And, and we see the closeness that immediately it says Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. He changed Simon's name. And a lot of times when we, uh, we, we have close friends, we have nicknames or, or, or names that we call uh, term, terms of endearment, people that we, are, we closely associate with. Even uh, James and John he called the, the sons of thunder. Uh, it's just showing this, this inner relationship they had within the 12, that Jesus loved these guys, that they're his pals, that he gave them new names, and, and, uh, and they were part of it. And, uh, and so it shows this, this closeness that uh, he had with them. And then even in this friendship, he began to redefine the relationships that these, peop- these men would have known all their lives Uh, taking them from different walks of life, from fishermen to tax collectors. And two, in particular, when it says uh, Matthew, the tax collector, and then Simon, the Canaanitean, or in some translations, Simon the Zealot. Uh, A zealot was one who um, was radically against Rome. They wanted to take back uh, Israel from Rome by any means, and they, they were uncompromising. And uh, Matthew, being a tax collector, was sympathetic with the Romans, and he was collecting money for the Romans. These two men would never have been in the same room together in their culture. But here, among the 12 closest friends of Jesus Christ, the early disciples, who would uh, uh, be the foundation uh, for the church, that uh, they, they, these guys came from different spheres, that Jesus redefined their relationship and, uh, and so he begins here. And, uh, and then he, he continues um, with them. He goes home. Uh, this uh, could be back into Capernaum, back in the same home where they ripped the ceiling off and, and uh earlier chapter. But they go home, and, uh, and the crowd followed them, and they stayed so busy that Jesus, it says, they couldn't even eat. That they just crowded in the house, they crowded around the house, they couldn't, like, Jesus just didn't stop teaching. He just kept going and going and going, and the crowd um, began um, to just take all the time. And then it says his family heard it, they went out uh, to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, they could have said this for several different meetings. Um, it could be that Jesus was so busy that he was just continually going that, and he wouldn't pause to even eat. That his family's like, we're concerned about you. You need to eat. We're gonna, we're gonna take you. Uh, you gotta stop teaching. Uh, you're you're a little bit too excited about this. We're gonna feed you, and and let you rest. Uh, it could also um, be that this is still very early on in his earthly ministry. And here's the um, their their brother um, and son who has you know, been quiet in obscurity for 30 years of his life. And all of a sudden he's hitting the scene and a large crowd is following him. And it's like, this is crazy. This is our, this is, you know, we grew up with him. This isn't who he's been. Um, he's not the, this teacher. And, uh, and it's just, they just don't know how to understand it. So his, his family has a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Uh, right, right here we see that they're not even tracking with what his mission is about and what his message is all about, even though they've been so close to him for so long. And then this, uh, this next section is um, a sober warning. Uh, it's, it's a time where, where Jesus says some, some very harsh statements, and one where I want to just take a, a few moments to really think about, um, because I think it's a very misunderstood passage of Scripture and leads to some very, mis, uh, uh, from very difficult um, teachings, but misunderstandings here. Uh, in, your, in your Bible, it may have a heading, Blasphemy Against the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and said the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, now here these are the scribes who had been plotting against him, uh, were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub and the prince of demons and casts out demons. And, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan if a kingdom is divided against itself? that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Um, So here, the the scribes and Pharisees are watching him silence the demons. They've seen him cast out demons. um, And... And it could be uh, that when they heard the demons say, you're the son of God, uh, that these scribes said, hey, here's something we can use against him. Uh, and then with his family saying uh, he's out of his mind, they're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to build this against him, and we're going to say, look, this guy is crazy, he's, he's possessed by Satan, and he's casting out demons in the name of Satan. And, and Jesus says, hey, that doesn't make any sense if you think about it, if... Uh, you know Why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would uh, the, the prince of the demons tell the demons to stop doing what they're supposed to be doing? It makes no sense. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, and so, But he says, But uh, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Uh, Jesus is saying, Look, uh, what, what's happening here is I've bound Satan. I've confined Satan's uh, power. And I am now... Uh, bringing the kingdom of God here and casting out demons and controlling demons, and having power over uh, those who are demon-possessed. And, and he's, he's setting the record straight that uh, you can't say that, uh, that, I, that I'm possessed by Satan. Then he continues, truly, in verse 28, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit uh, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So here's one of the, the three passages where we get the, um, the unpardonable sin uh, is what we hear. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a passage that, again, it's, it's, um, it's a very strong, sober warning that Jesus gives. It's a very harsh statement that we see God as a very uh, loving God. And we talk about God's forgiveness. But here it says, here is something that can happen that would mean forgiveness is no longer possible. And what exactly is this? What, what is going on here? And so really to understand this passage, um, it's good to understand what he's not saying, what he's not calling an unpardonable sin. Uh, the eternal sin is not just unbelief. Uh, mankind, we are naturally unbelieving. We are born into this world sinners. We are born into this world unbelieving. Uh, and so it's not just unbelief. It's not a sin explicitly named elsewhere in Scripture. There's no specific sin um, that says if you do this, if you murder, you're you're unforgiven. No, because we have many sins. Uh, We see that David murdered, Moses murdered, Paul murdered, and they were saved. It's not adultery. We see David was a believer. It's not uh, suicide. There's no place in Scripture that says suicide is an unpardonable sin. Uh, these are, are common things that said these are unpardonable, unforgivable. This is not saying that. It's not denying Christ, because even Peter denied Christ and was saved. Paul denied Christ and is, not, is saved. Uh, it, and it's not blaspheming Jesus Christ. Uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul even called himself a blasphemer. It's not flippantly saying something against the Holy Spirit. It's not just something... Um, flippant or whimsical, it's, uh, it's something much deeper than that. It's not grieving or quenching the Spirit, which uh, is possible for a believer to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. If we look into uh, Ephesians 4 or First Thessalonians 5, it says, commands, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not quench the work of the Holy Spirit. These are things that it is not. Uh, he, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a particular sin that any one of us can commit that would uh, would. Uh, remove us from being saved. But this is, uh, Sam Storms puts it this way. This was not a one-time momentary slip or inadvertent uh, mistake in judgment, but a persistent, lifelong rebellion in the face of inescapable truth. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a careless act, but a calloused attitude. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is not just unbelief, But unashamed unbelief that arises not from ignorance of what is true, but in defiance of what one knows beyond doubt to be true. It is not mere denial, but a determined denial, not mere rejection, but wanton, willful, wicked, wide open, wide eyed rejection. What we have here in this particular story, we have scribes and Pharisees who witnessed Jesus Christ's um, life, his miracles. They heard him preach the, the gospel. They, they saw the power of the Spirit. And then they said what Jesus was doing, the authority that he had, the power that he had was from Satan himself. And Jesus said, what you've done is unforgivable. You have seen the working of the Holy Spirit through the Son of God, and you have attributed it to Satan. Uh, that is an unforgivable sin. And, and what it is, is this, is that if we would uh, just flip over a few pages to John 16, uh, it says something very specific about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 8, and, and Jesus is speaking here and he says, And when he, the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, And they convict them concerning sin Because they do not believe in me Concerning righteousness Because he goes to the Father And you will see him no longer Concerning judgment Because the ruler of this world is judged And in many other places we could go, the harsh warning comes from Jesus because the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration, regeneration. That Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross and shed his blood, but it is the Holy Spirit that comes and awakens our hearts and opens our eyes to see our need for a Savior and brings that work to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and convicts us of sin and allows us to see our need to repent. The gospel Jesus is preaching is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. But without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you cannot repent. You cannot see the need for that. And what's happening is these people are getting to a place where they're saying the Holy Spirit is evil. The Holy Spirit is wicked. I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And so they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They themselves have removed themselves from the very agent that brings them to repentance. It's as if you, uh, the, you had a, d- um, a disease that could be operated on. And there was one doctor in the world who was skillful enough to perform this very specific surgery. But you looked at that doctor as a, a, a sadist who, who just enjoys to destroying people. And you say, there's no way I'm going to allow that guy to operate on me. Uh, it, is, it is saying, I, I don't trust that doctor, and I will not be operated. And so you've lost that one opportunity to be operated on. And this is the, the type of decision someone has to get to, uh, to view the Holy Spirit as evil, as wicked. I don't want to listen to him. I, I want nothing to do with him. And, and this is what these people have done here. And Jesus says, um, well, first off, he gives a it's, a, it's a sober warning to all who listen. It's like a house divided cannot stand. Don't. Don't look at, don't attribute what the Holy Spirit is doing as, as evil or to this, uh, as Satan, but, but look to the truth. Listen to the truth. Uh, and it's one of those things as a, uh, today as a believer, um, if you've trusted Christ, you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it's a sin that you cannot commit. You cannot deny the Spirit who indwells you. If you've ever been worried about, did I, did I commit the unpardonable sin? Well, it shows that you're sensitive enough to, to worry about it, which shows that you're not in an unrepentant state. That you you worry like that that is a sign of no you haven't committed that uh it, it, this is a it's a sin that uh, some say uh, that this is a one time uh, act in history because they saw Jesus Christ present alive heard his speech saw his miracles and uh, and committed this some say that it is still yet today that if you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan that that can happen but uh, what we do know is that. When we, uh, what if we can repent, we haven't, we haven't committed that. So, uh, as Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, and so that, that is what we need to focus on. Uh, and it, it is very clear that, um, it, it is a very specific event of attributing the, the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And then, lastly, we see, uh, he redefines a new family. Uh, <clears throat> And it says his mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him so mary uh, and then Jesus had half brothers and sisters uh, in a couple places in the scriptures it testifies to that. there are some traditions that say jesus was uh, Mary only had uh, Jesus, but we know from the scriptures that jesus uh, that Mary was a virgin she didn't uh, and, and then she had was uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, had Jesus Christ, and then Joseph and Mary had other kids uh, from the, the biblical testimony, and they came uh, to calling on him, and they, they want him. They want, want him to come with them, and Jesus says, um, who is my, my mother and my brothers? But those who uh, believe and obey, those are my mother, brothers, and sisters. Jesus is redefining uh, relationship. In that day and age, family and, and and much like in in our culture, but much greater than family was so important. If you've read through the Bible and you get stuck up on genealogies, a lot of times of man, why are there so many names? Family name was important, very important in their culture. Uh, don't uh, don't do anything uh, uh, to to um, belittle the family name, and you sacrifice for family. And there's there's um, family was hugely important. And for Jesus to say, um, basically say. The biological family is not as important as this new spiritual family. He's redefining the hugest relationships that we can think about right now. He says, it is whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. It is the church that becomes primary relationship, even above family. And so what exactly is is he talking about? If you um, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we see a little bit about what the church is, is and, and the importance that we have uh, in the church. And this is, this, again, it's building off a little bit of what we saw in, um, in his calling the, the apostles to himself. He desired them, he called them to him, and they came. And then we, we see that here as he's preaching and teaching the word of God, those who are listening and obeying have become uh, most important. Now, he's not saying, I don't care about my earthly family. Even on the cross, we see that Jesus takes care of his mother like It's not that he doesn't care for them, but he's saying uh, what's most important right now is not, not a biological family name, but it is, it is the spiritual family. It's the kingdom of God. It is the church. And then starting in uh, verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, and, and Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, for God by the Spirit. And again, even in this, we, we see the involvement in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in bringing us into this family of God, that this is becomes the most important family that we have, that um. You know, Jesus said that the world will know you are my disciples by your love for fellow believers, for the brethren, uh, for believers. The church relationship should be lived out in such a way that we are a light to the world when they see our uh, relationship with each other. And that's one of the things that um, we really strive to develop and grow in the youth group. And as new students come and they see what's going on in the youth group, that they get excited about what we have, um, that we have a group that loves to be together, that loves each other and continues to grow. And that's a, it's a culture we're trying to continue to cultivate in our church through our different small groups and the different things that we do throughout the week, that we are a body of believers that enjoys being together uh, because we are part of a greater family a spiritual family, um, and inviting each other into that. Because in those communities, in accountability uh, relationships in, in the church, learning about Jesus Christ is how we begin to live lives that shine bright, that show the world that they need something more than what they have, that they need Jesus Christ. And in him, we have fellowship with the Father. And it says there in verse 22, "...in him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God." By the Spirit. It is so important that we see that we regularly need to be involved in a local fellowship of believers. Uh, you know, Lakeside's not the perfect church. We don't have everything figured out, and we're not a bunch of holy people that never sin. We, we all struggle, and we will let each other down from time to time. But it's like in any family, we commit to one another, and, and we come together and say, We're going to work things out. We're going to, uh, for God's glory, we are, we are, we're in this together. We are a family and we love each other. And, and so when one of us is struggling, we surround that person and we pray for them and we lift them up and we care for them because we are being built into a dwelling place for God only in bringing together our collective humanness and our sinfulness and our struggles. And we come into a, a, this place and, and work together and pray together and heal together through the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the Word of God, do we see God in The church, if we are just hopping around and we never settle in one place, we never stay long enough, uh, we never fully see God. 1 John tells us that our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ is a good reflection of our relationship with God himself. That you cannot love God and hate your brother. You cannot be careless towards other believers and consider yourself a Christian. No, in intimate fellowship with a community of believers, do we fully experience the the love and fellowship that we can have with God himself? And so Jesus came to redefine that and say, biological family is important, but the spiritual family is far more important. You know, and so so we see Jesus as he begins his ministry. Um, he's he's growing in popularity, and a very very shortly he's we're going to see that this same crowd is going to begin to disperse because Jesus is going to begin telling them uh, how they have to um, trust him alone, and they're going to have to make hard decisions. And people are unwilling to do that, but the faithful remain, and we begin to see uh, this church. Uh, planted and work and see what God's doing. And so uh, I want to challenge you that as we come to see Jesus Christ, that here he enters the scene where all of a sudden... um it's explosive. Things are happening fast. Mark is writing in such a way that is so fascinating uh, because he's super excited about this and he wants to get all the message out because it is an exciting thing that the Son of God has come to be man and he is living among us to point us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the God the Father, and how we can have a community together. Uh, and so what do we do from this? We, we see that our relationships in Christ have been redefined, that it's about Jesus. It's not about us any longer, that it's about the community that he has given us. And so um, with that, we'll, we'll just close in prayer and then we'll sing together as we um, enjoy his presence. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity again to to look into your word and see the life of Christ and, and how he redefined relationships that we um, are part of Lord, I thank you that we see he, he desired the disciples that he desired his followers that he called them to him and, and that you desire a relationship with us, Lord. I pray today if there 's anyone here who has not chosen to follow Christ, has not trusted christ for for forgiveness of sin and for their eternity, Lord, I pray that that they would see that you desire a relationship with them and that in placing their trust in Christ, the Son of God, Son of Man, that they can know you and be forgiven. Lord, I thank you for this church, this fellowship that we have, uh, that we can come together, we can worship together, we can pray together, we can live together, Lord, and be a reflection of you to this community. And I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.